0: Injectable medical devices represent one of the most disruptive technology trends in the pharmaceutical industry. They put the patient at the center of it all, allowing them to administer therapies themselves. It is safe, saves time in a safe manner, and does not disrupt their regular schedule. It is also better for the environment, especially if we consider the impact of traveling to the point of medical care and back home again. Now take a moment to imagine that you need an intravenously administered medication every week. Would you prefer to drive to your health practitioner, wait in their waiting room and have the therapy administered at a point of care? Or would you rather simply walk to your kitchen and as you wait for the kettle to boil, open the fridge, take out a small device and administer the therapy yourself quickly and in the comfort of your own home? The
1: difference in patient life quality which can be achieved just by the drug delivery technology is incredible.
0: That is Roman Mathis, Lonza's Associate Director of Pharmaceutical Services. He's joining me today together with Ian Thompson, the Vice President of Business Development of Ipsomet, a company developing and manufacturing injection systems for self-medication. These medical devices are already parts of our daily lives. And you probably already know someone with diabetes, or someone who has strong allergies and is in a need of an EpiPen, or someone going through fertility treatments. Perhaps even you yourself have used an at-home drug delivery device. I am Martina Hestericová, and this is A View On, a podcast brought to you by Lonza. I'd like to welcome you both. Hi, Roman. Hi, Ian. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast today.
1: Hi, Martina. Nice to meet all of you here together in this podcast.
2: Hi, Martina. Hi, Roman. Nice to meet you.
0: Given my background, I worked a little bit on drug products in my earlier career, and I remember that when I was thinking about medical devices, I always thought of it as as something almost high-tech, almost like something from Star Trek, like Borgs, but Ian. Before we dive deep into this topic, could you define for us what is a medical device and what are they used for?
2: Thank you, Martina. Yeah, medical devices are, I mean, it's a very broad definition because of course they can be a mixture of drug and device. They can also be implanted. They can also be used for performing examinations and diagnoses on patients, for instance. So it's a very broad range. At, at Ipsomed, we are generally interested in those devices that are used to deliver the pharmaceuticals and biologics. So there we really talk in that sense about drug delivery devices. And of course, drug delivery devices can range from oral to mucosal delivery, inhalers and topical delivery, on to parental drug delivery. And that's where we are focused in the parenteral drug delivery space. And that's where we have a lot of interaction also with uh, Romana at
0: So if we just focus on the medical devices that penetrate the skin and have a direct contact with the bloodstream, and I know I'm pushing this, but how far are we from Borgs, from Star Trek? Is this something that we can say we are already implementing in the medical space or is this still light years away?
2: What do you mean by Borgs in, in uh, Star Trek? I remember Me Up Scotty.
0: It is from a more recent series called Voyager. So the Borg are humanoids that are implanted with biochips and these turn into medical devices that link their brains with a collective, that's how it's called, and serve as upgrades to their physique. So as a result, they get an eye implant to improve their vision, for instance.
2: I, I think what we're generally doing, of course, is fixing people and their disease states. And uh, I think we are certainly there. If you think about things like age-related macular degeneration and how there are now drugs available to prevent that degeneration, whether we're, we're making people superhuman, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, good.
0: Well, then let's focus on the current status. What are the major technology platforms that are dominating the market today?
2: What I can talk about is parenteral drug delivery, which, of course, is divided into infusions such as IV and injections, which may be intramuscular, of course, for vaccines. Everyone is familiar with those from the COVID uh, vaccines that they've been receiving over the last uh, two to three years. But mainly... The drugs today that we are involved with typically are subcutaneously injected and they are typically hormones and monoclonal antibody therapeutics. And they are injected in turn using the traditional pen injectors, auto injectors, and there are also new devices called patch injectors or on-body delivery systems. And those are the areas where we are most active at Deep
0: Just as a clarification, you mentioned that many people are familiar with devices due to the fact that they have received the vaccine over the past few months. Does this mean that the standard syringe that is used to deliver these types of medicines is considered a medical device as well?
2: Yes, because it contains the drug product. So a standard primary drug container, whether that's a vial or a syringe, That is also a medical device because it's being used to perform then the drug delivery step.
0: Interesting. Well, but that really means that everyone that's listening to this podcast has already seen or even touched a medical device. That's pretty exciting. That's the future right here. (laughs) Now I'd like to turn to you, Roman. Could you maybe tell us why are these devices needed in the first place? I mean, if I step into the shoes of a patient, and I am a patient quite often, right? Like every single one of us. Wouldn't it be easier for the patient to rely on the knowledge and skills of the medical professional, like a nurse or a doctor, to administer a treatment? Why would we need a device to do it ourselves?
1: Great question. And in some cases, for example, some chemotherapy treatment, it is beneficial to be in the hospital setting with the possibility to monitor the patient. However, many chronic disease do not require this type of strict monitoring during the drug administration.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And patient A needs to drive to the treatment center. This could very well mean driving 50 kilometers. Uh, the treatment center needs to run then a hospital pharmacy, which can prepare an IV infusion. Uh, the healthcare person needs to prepare an intravenous access. And then the patient receives the treatment and drives home, so it's clear that yeah, at least half a day, or maybe even a full day is lost every week. And in addition, yeah, the patient may miss treatments when driving during, I don't know, bad weather conditions or health conditions, is simply not possible. And all in all, this whole process of receiving the drug treatment has significant impact on the patient's life's quality. And in contrast, if you imagine patient B, for example, who has the same chronic disease. However, this patient just goes to the fridge in the kitchen, self administers the truck, and two minutes later, it's sitting at the breakfast table with the family with zero disruption of routine life. The difference in patient life quality, which can be achieved just by the drug delivery technology, is incredible. There are even more extreme examples, such as diabetes, where a patient needs several injections every day, So these treatments would simply not even be possible without a medical device for self-administration.
0: I guess it also is of high value, not only for chronic diseases, but also for patients that are going through fertility treatments, right? I cannot imagine having to go to the fertility center twice a day for getting an injection when you can do all of them at home, leading up to the egg collection.
1: Absolutely. There are many examples like this. The list is long and the benefits for the patients are simply incredible. And here we're not talking about a pharmacodynamical process, that the drug is better than another drug. It's simply the technology delivery. And I think that's amazing. That technology can have such a big impact on the patient.
0: Roman, as an expert on formulation development, does this development of the formulation differ for standard products compared to those that are administered using a medical device?
1: Indeed, there is a substantial difference in the development and manufacturing of a medical device as compared to products in a vial. Combination products such as Ian mentioned, an auto injector simply feature a higher complexity. And in addition to formulation development, this is just one aspect, a robust Design control process needs to be in place to ensure adequate functionality of the combination product of the medical device, according to its intended use.
0: If I now think about the drug development and manufacturing process from the perspective of a customer that comes to Lonza and wants a drug developed, do they need to specify at the very beginning that they would like to have the drug administered through a medical device? Or can this change be made also later in the process?
1: I think that's a very good question. It is mandatory almost for an adequate and efficient development process to include the drug delivery application in the target product profile from the start. Besides all the technology proceedings, I truly believe that one of the biggest achievements in the last 10 to 15 years is the appreciation to fully integrate medical device and combination product development into the holistic product development strategy from the start. And this includes an earlier dialogue to also the component suppliers, such as Upsomet and syringe manufacturers. And in fact, the collaboration between Upsomet and Lonza, I think is a very good example of a joint effort of the two companies,
0: How is this area evolving? What are the upcoming trends in this area of drug development and medical devices development?
1: I think one major trend from a manufacturer perspective is to actually reduce the above mentioned complexity of those medical devices and combination products during development and manufacturing by developing platform processes. And in addition, these platforms are nowadays extended then to more niche applications such as Ocular or large volume delivery.
0: Wait, so you would, as a patient, self administer something into the eye?
1: Well, Intraocular delivery nowadays is typically done by professional healthcare personnel. Nevertheless, the process of drug administration is much more seamless for uh, intravitreal application if the drug is uh, developed in a combination product as compared, for example, to a vial where the product first needs to be transferred into an injection syringe.
0: Okay. I guess this also decreases the chances of transferring bubbles or anything like that. That's just a scary image, oh my gosh.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Contaminations, dosing accuracies, air bubbles, you name it.
0: All right, thanks. Now I'd like to turn to the medical device itself. So, Ian, you've worked at Ipsomed for over 25 years and focused on new product innovation. Could you tell us a bit about the history of medical devices? Where did this all begin?
2: The industry of self-injection devices really goes back to the 1980s with the launch of the first reusable insulin pens by companies like Novodinit, Nordisk, Eli Lilly, and Sanofi. During the 90s and the 2000s, the first pre-filled disposable pens were then launched. So they increased the level of convenience for Insulin patients or diabetics who are using reusable pens. And they have also been launched, various pens, both reusable and disposable, have been launched for the other main therapies over the years, over the last 10 to 20 years, for injecting GLP 1, which is another diabetes drug, human growth hormone, follicle stimulating hormone for fertility treatment, as well as PTH, which is parathyroid hormone for treating osteoporosis. But what's that really happened over the last 20 years is that the therapies have moved from pen therapies to auto-injectors. Pens are essentially dosing mechanisms for regular, typically daily injections or, or more than one injection a day. And the injection is a manual process. The patient has to attach a pen needle to the pen which contains a glass cartridge. And after dialing the dose, the injection is performed manually And after the injection, the needle is typically disposed of, although we do know that patients do reuse needles as well. The first generations of drugs that are used with pens are for injecting pretty small molecules, essentially peptides or peptide hormones. And they are then formulated containing preservative to prevent infection so that the cartridge can be reused multiple times. But what's happened with the advent of monoclonal antibodies which the very first one was launched for rheumatoid arthritis uh, in the early 2000s and landed in an auto-injector. The, the two most famous examples are Embryol from from Amgen and uh, Humira from AbbVie. Both of these drugs were then launched in auto-injectors in 2006. These types of drugs, antibody drugs, they are not dosed, they're not weight-based dosing, they do not require variable dosing, it's just a fixed dose that's then injected at, let's say, on a weekly basis, a bi-weekly basis, or perhaps even on a monthly basis. So auto-injectors had been around for quite a while for treating emergency injections, like you know, for military applications, anaphylactic shock or migraine, but it really took until 2006 for the first auto-injector to be launched for injecting a therapeutic protein. So while the pen market is dominated by insulin, the auto-injector market is growing in parallel with the huge number of monoclonal antibody therapies that are in development and already on the market. So even some therapies that are traditionally administered using pens, such as daily GLP-1 injections, are actually moving now to fixed weekly doses, Uh, which means that they can be performed using a multi-dose pen or using an auto-injector.
0: Ian, we've been talking a lot about using injectable medical devices with Biologics. Can they also be used for administering small molecule drugs?
2: Not very often, but there are applications where this may be beneficial. There are some small molecule drugs that are taken in tablet form, let's say on a daily basis, where there could be the advantage of formulating the small molecule in a way that it can then be injected uh, maybe on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis, potentially some, let's say, oral drugs can actually be formulated into an injectable form that requires much less frequent administration. So there are many research and development tracks that are being followed by pharma to make the administration of the drug as convenient as possible for the patient.
0: So now that I understand better how a wearable device actually works and what are the pros and cons of it, could you summarize for us the pros of having a wearable injectable device in the
2: first place? Firstly it's it's important to look at the definition of a wearable injection device because of course there are wearable pumps like insulin pumps that are either carried on the belt or on the body and there are even patch versions of insulin pumps that are, that are applied to the skin and attached to the skin for 3 days typically but where we are talking about antibody therapies or larger volume injections there we start talking about patch injectors which are then only carried on the body For the time that it's required to give the injection. And the main therapy areas where they are being investigated is really in those therapies like rare diseases, immuno oncology, so for treating cancer. And we actually see the patch injectors replacing potentially also in the hospital setting. This means that the patch injector is potentially not only for use in the home environment, but also in the clinical and hospital environment to save on a lot of the disposable material that is required for giving infusions in the in the clinic.
0: Now if you take a step back and talk about medical devices in general, how are these devices made? How does the manufacturing process look like?
2: The devices themselves have to be developed. We have to design them as in as simple a way as possible so that they include all of the functionality that that's required by the patient and then of course that we have to design the product uh, develop prototypes test it with patients and also then start manufacturing the product so that it can be used in in volumes for use in the clinic and eventually for commercial and this requires tool making uh, injection molding as well as the automated manufacturing of the device itself, which is essentially a subassembly in many cases that is then manufactured so that it can be then assembled together with the drug product at a licensed drug handling uh, facility that a company like Lonza would have available. And that's where uh, this is, has brought us into a much closer uh, dialogue together with Lonza in this area.
0: Now, Roman, once you receive the medical device and the drug product is developed, formulated for this combination product, how does the process continue in your team?
1: Yes, the journey then continues at Lonza. I think a good example would be manufacturing of an auto-injector. And uh, first of all, all components, also uh, medical device components leading into a GMP manufacturing process. So products manufactured for human use undergo rigorous incoming goods quality control. Then syringes are filled and the filled syringes are sampled. Finally, the fully sampled injector needs to be released for human use. And the release testing comprises testing of the drug product quality but also ensuring adequate functionality of the delivery device.
0: Ian, from your perspective, how do you collaborate with your customers when you are developing a medical device for
2: them? When a pharmaceutical company approaches us, it's all about what level of customization can we perform on the platform product itself, like a a 1ml auto-injector, for instance, to accommodate the drug that our pharmaceutical customer has approached us with. So firstly, we have to select the correct platform and then select what the design limits of that platform are and how we will need to modify that in terms of potentially colors, spring forces, and the fill volume that we require for that particular auto-injector. So this is why we have this sort of platform portfolio that covers the reusable and disposable pens for the pen therapist, as well as, of course, the 1ML the 2.25 pre-filled syringe-based auto-injectors, as well as the more recent 5.5 milliliter member of the Ipsomate auto-injector family. And then, of course, as we mentioned before, our patch injector, Ipsodose, accommodates injection volumes up to 10 ml that are beyond the scope of the handheld injections.
0: Speaking of beyond the scope, are there any limitations to developing medical devices?
2: One thing that you could... Talk about is the limitation of the volume that you could perhaps administer using a single use pre filled device, and whether it makes sense to have a disposable device for much larger volumes, and whether it makes more sense to look at a reusable device for administering much larger volume. There are therapies out there today, for instance, where immuno impaired patients are injecting themselves with um, gamma globulins in the range of up to 50 milliliters subcutaneously. All at once, 50 milliliters, oh my gosh. All at once, using typically a number of infusion sets in combination with a reusable pump system.
1: It's a general trend that injection volumes expand. And there's a lot of urban myth in this area that injection volumes should be restricted to a few milliliters. And larger injections would be associated with pain. But I think what we can summarize is that larger volumes are a clear trend in the medical device ecosystem. And more and more therapies are developed using larger injection volumes to reduce treating intervals, but also increase product stability by formulating drugs in lower concentration.
0: Right. So besides moving towards larger injection volumes, what are the trends and innovations do you expect to see in the next, say, 5 to 10 years?
2: For some of the newer biological therapies, uh, health insurers are looking to shift from unit price payment towards outcome-based compensation models. And this is driving the need for technical solutions that automatically record whether and how successfully the patient follows the therapy guidelines And of course, you know, smart devices are needed to to support these, these new ecosystems to support and demonstrate successful therapy outcomes. The future is, to some extent, is just starting. We've now developed the platforms and these aspects of further developing them, further developing the volumes And further developing devices that are compatible with um, therapy management ecosystems is going to keep us very busy for the next uh, 10 to 15 years at least.
0: That sounds really exciting. Roman, do you have anything to add to this?
1: I have the feeling that also um, sustainability and environmental aspects are one of the major key areas where the industry is transforming at the moment. Major efforts are done now to also comply to the Paris Agreement. In pharma companies and CDMOs, science-based emission targets and total lifecycle assessments are becoming almost mandatory. Uh, meaning the greenhouse gas emission assessments of a single drug dose, including all sources of greenhouse gas emission. For example, the employee driving by car to work, for example, a patient driving to the treatment center. And this total life cycle assessment is then the basis for reducing greenhouse gas emission as it allows the identification and elimination of the main emission contributors. And it's very interesting to see uh, the momentum the pharma industry has. And I'm also fully committed to support those targets.
0: That's a really nice message to end this podcast episode with. Thanks, (laughs) Roman. That was fantastic. And I would really like to thank you both for joining us here at Avion. I find the topic of Medical devices, as I mentioned at the beginning, really fascinating, and I think my interest has only grown. Thank you, Martina.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That is all for today. Thanks for listening to A View on Injectable Medical Devices with Lonza's Roman Matis and Ian Thompson from Ipsomed. I personally find this topic of medical devices utterly fascinating. It literally brings a piece of sci-fi into our daily lives already today. I hope you enjoyed exploring this topic as much as we did. We will be back soon with another deep dive into the pharma manufacturing world. Next month, we will explore the world of small molecules, especially those with very high potency, and focus on their manufacturing, toxicology, and use. Talk to you soon, and bye for now.